Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Well, we'd like to join you today, but Russ is in an important conversation with his wife via text on what? Ice cream sandwiches and chicken? Drumsticks <laughs> and toffee bars and ice cream sandwiches. This is deep stuff here. <laughs> so we'll get back to you with the rest of the show once he gets done texting. Oh, I might not. I might not. <laughs> well, we've been hitting practical theology this week and, um, well, last week, and we're bleeding into this week now. We're talking about marriage and divorce and what the Bible says about it. Last time we talked about the the valid grounds for divorce, and we really only talked about one, um, namely being uh, sexual immorality. Um, do you want to quickly catch us up to speed, Phil? Well, um, yeah, we we talked about uh, Jesus in Matthew nineteen uh, and, and elsewhere in the Gospels uh, when he talks about uh, the the marriage bond being indissoluble. But then he says, paraphrasing here, but except for reason of adultery. Um, when there's been unfaithfulness, Jesus does not bind the conscience. And I want to qualify something I said in the earlier show, and I, we had a conversation off air that uh, Josh said something really important, that, that sometimes pastors and other Christians can lay a burden of guilt on uh, the wounded party in a, in a situation of adultery, lay this burden of guilt on them. Well, you know, you've got to seek reconciliation, and if reconciliation at all costs, and you know, sometimes, and, and especially in, for cause of adultery, uh, Jesus, let's let Jesus have the last word. Jesus does not bind the conscience. So if reconciliation is possible, if it's desirable, um, seek it. But let Jesus have the last word. He does not bind the conscience. It's interesting. Jesus was actually engaging in a, in a debate that the Jews were having over a biblical text from the Old Testament. Right. So he's actually entering into a discussion based upon an interpretation of what does Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 through 5 really mean. Right. And Deuteronomy 24 says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And the problem was that the indecency was becoming ridiculous. You know, she burnt his food or she did something minuscule wrong. Um, the Jews were saying, well, then he could divorce her. And so Jesus is really coming in and helping define indecency. Yeah. Um, that's where he can't, comes in. And But the Deuteronomy text says, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and that, that, that seems to be fine. She has left the one, and then it says, and the later man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. Or if the le- le- later man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife. Right. 
So there actually is a, a point in this even text where reconciliation is impossible. Mm-hmm. If they've been sent away and there's been a divorce, then what the text is saying is, well, no, he, she she doesn't come back. Um, at that point, reconciliation is no longer um, on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some biblical precedent to say that there comes a point where there isn't reconciliation on a human relationship in this way. I mean, there, there needs to be forgiveness, regardless of whether the two are ever reconciled. There should never be the situation where these, there's this hostile um, relationship between an ex-husband and ex-wife. Yeah. That's not a biblical um, right. a reality. Um, if they both make claims of being believers, they have to be reconciled in the biblical sense of forgiveness has to, to occur um, between one another because we're commanded. Yep. Yes. Um, so, real quick, listeners, I hope you heard what Pastor Russ just said. He actually, well, he what he just did. He um, interpreted the Bible using the Bible. Deuteronomy twenty four talks about some indecency as some kind of qualification for getting divorced, and he allowed Jesus to speak to that and interpret what Deuteronomy 24 says. So that's actually a really important principle. It's called the analogy of faith. If you come to some place in Scripture that it's not clear, go to some place in Scripture where it is clear and let the Bible interpret the Bible. So we've talked about the valid ground for divorce being sexual immorality, um, adultery. What other val- Are there other valid grounds for divorce? <clears throat> I think the other major text that speaks on this is 1 Corinthians 7, and right. I think um, Phil is going to enlighten us on this well sure that's that's where i was going to go next if one of you guys gets to it before i can find it but to, to paraphrase first corinthians 7 um paul, paul talks about abandonment and particularly he's speaking in the context of being abandoned by an unbelieving spouse um but i think there's a larger principle of abandonment there that Paul does not bind the conscience. Uh, Paul, if, if one of you guys finds it first before me and, and, and wants to read it after I make this comment, um, that abandonment is biblical grounds for divorce. When, when, when a spouse has, has abandoned you, when, when, uh, the mar- when, the marriage has, when the marriage has been abandoned uh, and, and there's no reconciliation is impossible because one of the partners has checked out uh, then Paul doesn't bind the conscience. Yeah, so First uh, Corinthians seven fifteen. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Right. And I think you need to go back to the calling. Um, so husbands are to love, wives are to submit. Um, and in the true biblical sense of both of those, not in a, a manipulative, not in an abusive type of way, but those are the two standards. And so um, part of uh, verse 15 where it says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, really what, what it's saying is remain married if you can. Um, remain married as long as as the... In this case, it's, it's dealing with unbelievers and believers, but the principles are still there. So if the other person wants to remain married and there isn't a violation of the covenantal union, that can be for infidelity, but I also think it can be for um, abandonment. Mm-hmm. And I believe abandonment also pertains to um, the covenantal responsibilities that are involved in marriage. 
And this is why I say that also abuse can be a grounds for divorce. Right. Because the male is supposed to protect and to keep. They're to love um, and to give themselves for the bride. Um, but if they're abusing the bride, that is categorically opposite of what their calling is. And in essence, they've abandoned and they've abused their um, covenantal um, calling. Um, and it's as if they've abandoned um, their mm-hmm. spouse because they are not being a true husband. Um, they're actually being that which the husband is called to protect against. Um, they have become the enemy within the home um, that their calling was to to, to keep out, mm-hmm. and they have entered in. Um, right. And so in that sense, I, th- I do believe they have abandoned their post, if you will, as the husband um, mm-hmm. and the responsibility of the husband. Um, at a minimum, I believe that the, 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 the woman must get out of the home and must remove the children, um, if nothing else, just to do a separation at a minimum um, to, for safety's sake. Yeah. Yep. Can a divorced person get remarried? Let me say, first of all, yes. And then secondly, uh, I just want to add a word of uh, pastoral love and care. There, you know, there's, I'm sure there's listeners out there who have been through divorce. And let me say a word of confession on behalf of the, of the church, if I, if I can be so bold. Chuck Swindoll once said that the church is the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. And, and, and divorce and, and you know, marital difficulty is one of those areas where where Lord forgive us, we have, and we we have sometimes failed to love, uh, and uh, people who have have gone through marital difficulty and divorce. And one of the things we've touched on is that a good, strong Christian marriage is not just the relationship of two people; it's a web of relationship, it's a web of friendships and love within the covenant community. And so, I I, I think in a very real way. Very often when marriage fails, the community has failed too. Uh, the, the community has failed uh, to love and to, uh, to, to help nurture one another in our marriages. Anyway, that, that said, let me read you something out of, uh, this is a statement of faith in my denomination, which is the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And we've adopted uh, uh, in, in the area of, of marriage a modified form of the Westminster Confession of Faith and what it says about marriage. And this, this is amended. This is not the original Westminster Confession. The remarriage of divorced persons may be sanctioned by the church in keeping with the redemptive gospel of Christ. Let me stop right there. That remarriage is in keeping with the redemptive gospel. That the gospel is about forgiveness. The, for gospel, the gospel is about new beginnings. Uh, the gospel is not about carrying a burden of, of punishment for the rest of our lives when our, when our lives have not lived up to God's original intention. Uh, but we're all under grace, and, and so divorce may be granted, in, in, or rather remarriage after divorce can be sanctioned in keeping with the redemptive gospel of Christ when, and I think this is why these are wise words, when sufficient penitence for sin and failure is evident, 
and a firm purpose and endeavor after Christian marriage is manifested. In other words, a second marriage, or even a third marriage, entered into only with great care and with great repentance, uh, an acknowledgement of what's gone wrong, uh, acknowledgement of past failure. And where that is evident, I believe the answer is yes, uh, that the church can even, even celebrate remarriage after divorce. We really have a couple passages that deal with this, Romans 7, 1 Corinthians um, 7. Romans 7 is, is really giving us a principle that um, you're married to somebody until they die, but once that person dies, then you're free to marry somebody else. Um, 1 Corinthians 7 talks about this idea that the wife shouldn't separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Husband shouldn't divorce his wife. So you've got these principles that are there. The application of them become very difficult because when Jesus says for sexual um, immorality, immorality, does that allow for divorce? Yes. Does that mean that at that point, then in essence, the marriage has ceased and that that person has become, if you will, dead to you in the sense that now you're, you're free to marry somebody else? And I think largely the church has said yes to that question. But it's a hard question to answer, and there's so much sin involved, and I think I am dangerously close to running out of, out of time to answer this today. Yep. So I wonder if we can yep. pick up on this tomorrow, because yep. there's some, some things that we kind of need to continue to wrestle with. But I just want to finish by saying this isn't an easy thing. Because you're really dealing with an issue that is so permeated with sin, like all of life. And so it's not neat, it's not clean, because the ugliness of sin has messed it up. Well, we'll see you next time.